0: I try to get teachers to go home at four and come in at 830. <laughs> One thing I tell my staff is if you're stressed out and you're overwhelmed, you're not going mm-hmm. to be able to help students because your patience is just not there. You may feel OK working these long mm-hmm. hours. And I know there are sometimes you have to work long hours, but what you don't realize is you're just building up that exhaustion. To the point where you may have a student who's not regulated, but now all of a sudden you're not regulated either to Mm -hmm. to help that student effectively. I know teaching, there's a lot, but I try to give my teachers time during the workday to do things that they need to do so that they can leave on time and be with their families and do things to make them happy so that they're in the right mindset to be able to help support students effectively so that students have that safe space in the classroom.
1: Welcome to Through the Eyes of Trauma an Inner Ear Agency production where we engage in discussions regarding the impact that childhood trauma has on education, life and living. This podcast seeks to help listeners realize the widespread impact of trauma, recognize how it is impacting the students, adults and families, respond in a way that facilitates healing and to actively resist re-traumatization. Join us as we tackle the hard conversations, but give tools and strategies to help you cope and begin your journey towards regulation by healing first and educating always. To receive professional development, consulting, and childhood trauma intervention services, please visit us at innerearagency.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-E-A-R-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Let's get into the conversation. Hello and welcome back to another season of Through the Eyes of Trauma, the podcast where we explore the transformative power of trauma-informed practices in various aspects of life. I am so excited to be back this season. This is season three of Through the Eyes of Trauma. And I am so excited to have my special guest here, Susanna Bennett Asfa, who is the principal at an elementary school in Oklahoma City that services military families or military bases. Welcome, Susanna.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: Thank you for being here. Today, our topic is understanding trauma-informed education. And I really wanted to talk to someone who is in the vicinity of a space where there's a lot of trauma that students are experiencing. And so tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the population of your school.
0: Okay. Uh, my name is Susanna Bennett-Asfall, and I am um, beginning my second year as the head principal at this elementary school. Um, a little bit of the population, we have about 400 students, um, and half of that population, they come from uh, the military base that we're, we're right next to, and then the other half is a neighborhood. Um, that's south of the school. And that population is made up of low socioeconomic status. I would say about 50 percent African-American, 50 percent white. Um, mm-hmm. There is a small population of other races, but overall. That's wow. the the school.
1: So, like I said, you know, our topic today is understanding trauma informed education. And so it sounds like you have a wealth of knowledge in that being in the area that you are a principal. But our essential question today is how can trauma informed education positively impact the lives of students and create a nurturing learning environment? And so today we really want to delve into defining trauma and toxic stress in education and the impact that it has on child development, as well as just see from a perspective of a trauma-informed administrator, how you get, you motivate your students and your staff to become trauma-informed and how that looks, how that works. And so real quick, I want to dive into the definition of trauma, right? Because in the realm of trauma-informed education, it's crucial to have a clear understanding of the concepts of trauma and toxic stress as they significantly impact the lives of the students and their ability to learn and thrive. And so trauma refers to the emotional, psychological, and physiological response to an event or series of events that are distressing, harmful, or overwhelming. And I know with you being by a military base, a lot of their lives are surrounded with trauma and toxic stress just because of the work that their their families do. And so these events often exceed an individual's capacity to cope, leading to a lasting impact on their mental, emotional, and even their physical well-being. So in the context of education, it can result from a wide range of experiences such as physical or emotional abuse, neglect, loss of a loved one, especially in your sector of education, um, exposure to violence, accidents, or even ongoing stressors like poverty and discrimination. And I know you said that some of your students are low socioeconomic um, status. And so, of course, they fall into that category. But it's essential to recognize that trauma can be both acute resulting from a single traumatic event or complex arising from prolonged exposure to multiple stressors. And so at the school that I was in, it was in a low socioeconomic area, and they had chronic stress due to just the poverty that was in the area, the violence that was in the area. And so it was a cycle. It was a continuing cycle of students just coming into the school who had experienced so many levels of trauma and toxic stress and learning how to deal with that. Right. And then the difference between the trauma and toxic stress is that the toxic stress closely is related to trauma, but it refers to a prolonged and excessive stress response that can overwhelm a person's coping mechanisms. And so unlike typical stress that we may have on a day-to-day basis, which can be manageable or even beneficial in moderate amounts, toxic stress is chronic, severe, and often lacks the buffering effects of supportive relationships, which is what we try to give them, right, in the education system. So real quick, can you talk to us about just what you see on a day-to-day basis on your campus as far as students coming in with exposures and experiences to trauma and toxic stress?
0: Yeah. So one thing that immediately stood out to me as you were talking is a lot of our students, uh, when they have parents who deploy, um, Mm -hmm. that really is tough on them, especially our early childhood students. And so what we typically see is, um, Of course, they're emotional and they don't know how to regulate those emotions. And so it can look like, you know, just screaming, crying out, not following uh, the procedures. But it all stems from they miss their parent and they don't know Mm. how to how to talk about that. Um, But a lot of times it does take us training teachers and talking to teachers because they understand Um, Mm -hmm. I know you're going through a lot, but what do I do in the classroom? How do I address their need and help them learn at the same time? So that seems to be um, one of the biggest things that we notice is when a parent is deployed and they leave and they're gone uh, six months or more. It really does uh, take a toll on on our students.
1: I can see that. So a lot of times when i say trauma or even toxic stress a lot of people think about right the normal trauma so the abuse the neglect the loss mm-hmm. of a family member the exposure to violence but they fail to realize that just having your parents go to work sometimes is really traumatic for a young child because they want that that attention they want that love and affection and they don't understand mom and daddy is doing this for you you know, like I'm going and I'm making a living for us or I'm doing this for my country. And they fail to realize that the opportunity cost, you know, that they're missing out on is just that time with their parents. And so if a teacher or an administrator doesn't understand that, yes, they're they're leaving to go to work, but that is traumatic for the child and they don't know how to not only address that, but kind of be that buffer for the student, then it Mm -hmm. becomes problematic. And I had a um, a time when, I was substituting. This is when I first started getting into education. I was substituting. And there were some teachers there that were talking about a student who was, you know, the known behavior student. So the frequent flyer behavior student. And they were telling me about her and they were like, you know, she she's always has. She just always has a bad attitude. She's always into something. She goes off on us. She goes off on, on other students. Now, imagine she was in first grade. And they were like, like, we don't know why she acts like this. And I was like, well, she must have been, you know, been through some things. And they said, well, her dad walked into the church that they were going to and killed her mom, her grandmother, her aunt. Well, shot her mom, grandmother, aunt and cousins. And then the mom, grandmother and aunt uh, passed away. But she should be over that. That happens in March. Now, it was like September. And I was like, she should be over that. I'm like, I'm an adult Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be over that. But you expect a child to just get over that so soon and not have all of these emotions and frustrations and anger that they don't know how to express. And so it just reminded me of, if a teacher is like, well, that's what they do, they know they're in the military family, that's, they leave, they deploy. But if you don't understand that a child doesn't just bounce back that easily from that. I mean, yes, children are resilient, but if they are feeling these emotions and they're feeling this stress um, in their minds and in their bodies, but they cannot talk about it because they don't know how to express it, mm-hmm. then who's going to be that person or that, that adult that's going to pull those things out of them to help them regulate and to be that supportive, and, you know, buffering person for them? And so that's why I think it's extremely important to have, you know, administrators like you who understand that and who make sure that their teachers understand that being trauma informed is a mindset shift. You know, it's not just something that you can just get, you know, joined together, you have to first shift your mindset and your thinking into like, these children have been exposed to some things. And so how are we going to help them to regulate their emotions, to help them talk about it, but also reframe the trauma that they've experienced so that they can be successful, so that they can thrive and learn in a nurturing environment. And
0: one thing too, I want to add is um, not only do they deploy for so long, but whenever Mm -hmm. they come back, Depending on what they've been Mm. through, uh, they could have gone through trauma, you know, uh, while they're there and then they come back. They're not the same parent Um, Mm. and they may have PTSD or they may, their patients may run thin. And then this is a child that sees their parents and they're not mature. So they don't understand that. They just know I want my mom or I want my dad. And so it just looks different. It's not the same as, you know, you have a child that you're going to work for eight hours and then you come home, they mm-hmm. go for months without getting to see. And depending on the cu- the country that they're in, um, the time zones are different. So while they're at school, they may not get to talk to their dad or when they get home from school, they may not get to talk to that parent because of the time difference. Wow. And so it, it, it really does take a toll on the students. And so, you it's not enough to be informed, but we also have to give them strategies. We have to help them understand what that looks like and what that can mean for the child. But then here are some things you can do to help.
1: That's good. That's awesome. I I totally forgot about that. So now it's like a double whammy because you have to, to support them as their families leave, but then also support them as their families come back, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. So, Real quick, can you share with our audience what motivated or prompted you to put your school on the path towards being trauma-informed or resilience-focused?
0: It Pretty much, it's once you hear the stories. Um, mm. I know when I first started uh, <laughs> last year, um, literally my first week, there was a kindergartner who literally was screaming, crying, and no one knew. And then whenever you get her to calm down, it was... My dad is gone. And then (sighs) that just kind of breaks your heart. And then you have several situations where you have even older students who shut down or they may write something or type um, in a Google Doc how they're feeling. And then when Mm -hmm. I get that alert from our system that monitors students, I get an alert and it's like I open it up and I'm like, wow, you just you never know what students are going Mm -hmm. through. They're either suffering in silence Um, Or on the total end of the spectrum where they're just loud and, you know, screaming and crying out for help. Um, And so at that point, it was like, we have to figure out a way um, to reach all of our students.
1: I totally understand that. You know, schools, they they have to realize that many of our students face challenges that are beyond the classroom. And so I partnered um, at one point with an educational tech company whose their motto is students are carrying more than their backpacks. Oh, and that resonated with me. I was like, we have to understand that traditional disciplinary approaches approaches aren't going to effectively address the underlying issues when students have been exposed to trauma and toxic stress. Right. And so we got to keep motivating teachers and educators to have a deep commitment to fostering a nurturing environment to where students can thrive, where they can learn regardless of their background, regardless of their experiences. And in your case, the there's such a myriad of experiences that you have, you know, with your students. And so, it's really inspiring to hear that because of the stories, because of the things that your students have gone through, that you've in- transformed your entire school's approach. But how did you do that? Like, I know that is not a small feat, especially for those educators who are veteran educators, you know, and they are very like disciplined consequences. If you do this, this is what's going to happen, not understanding that you have to view a child's behavior through compassion and say, you know, what's happened to you, not what's wrong with you. And Mm -hmm. so how did you navigate like changing or shifting the mindset of those individuals who weren't already trauma-informed because you're coming into a school new last year. And so I'm sure there are teachers who had been there or people who had been there and who are like, yeah, I I like the way, the old way, you know, there's nothing wrong with what we were doing before. How did you navigate that?
0: I will say that a lot of my staff, they, they are very understanding. Um, They just need to be equipped with strategies. And so Mm -hmm. you do have the teachers um, who can be set in their ways. And the way you address those is you just have to give them examples. And like you said, inform them and make them aware of this is what it's like, but then you have to follow it up with here's what you can do. Um, a lot of times they get the training, they get all of the professional development, but then it's like, okay, go forth, conquer, love the children. I try oh, yeah. to give examples. So this is what the child is going through. Here's what it, you know, here to help them understand it. Here's what that looks like. Imagine how this child is feeling and here are some strategies to help you along the way. Um, and it's challenging. It is because. When you have 25 students in the classroom and then you just have the one um, Mm -hmm. who's acting out, it's challenging. Um, But if we all work together and we all lean on each other and you can reach out to another teacher or the counselor or um, even our secretaries get involved in our school and helping students, we all just have to lean on each other to help each other.
1: That's awesome. So you touched on real quick, just the learning environment and how if one student is activated, right, how it affects the learning environment. So real quick, let's talk about the the role of toxic stress and, and trauma in hindering the learning environment. I know for a fact when I was teaching, it was like if that one person is set off, oh, my lesson is done. It's mm-hmm. done for the day and I had to figure out and that's how I came to the whole being trauma informed thing, because I was always getting the quote unquote bad students and they kept putting it in my classroom from day one. You know, they created a class for me because it was over it, the classes were crowded. And so each teacher gave me six of their students and created my class once I came. And of course, they gave me the challenging students. And my principal at the time was like, listen, there are only 36 mentally deranged children in the whole school, but 18 of them are in your class. And I and I was self-contained, which means I had them all day. There was no break. There was no you know switch with another teacher. And I was like, why do they keep giving me these bad kids? And then I re- realized it's not that they're bad. It's just that they have been exposed to a lot of things. They have a lot of trauma. We serviced a domestic violence shelter. And then we also serviced a foster home for Mm -hmm. students who had been, you know, who were orphaned. And so they had been through a lot of stuff. And so I had to figure out, okay, how do I reach them, but also help them heal? And that's where the whole heal first educate always coming from, because I was like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to teach when these kids are activated. If they're triggered and they, you know, they're not regulated, I can't teach. And so it's so crazy to me how, just one thing that could remind them or trigger them of the thing that they have been through can immediately put them back in that space. Even if we are in a good, I mean, I spend my time, I have all of the cute artifacts and just the things for them to do. I have all of the things for it to be a super exciting and engaging lesson, but they're triggered. So they don't care about the colorful, you know, tiles. They don't care about the the story behind the lesson. They care about feeling safe at that moment. Right. And so, I I know that trauma and toxic stress can significantly impact the student's ability to learn and develop because when their their body's response is chronically activated without opportunities for recovery, it can lead to disruption in the brain's architecture and functioning. And that's the problem. We don't give students the time to recover. And I was so guilty of that because it's like, what's wrong with you? Are you not going to talk to me? You're not going to tell me what's wrong with you? Not realizing that when a child is activated, they have no language. Right. So they can't tell me what's wrong because they have no language. They probably have absolutely no comprehension of why they're feeling like they're not safe, especially when I feel like I'm providing a safe environment. But how do you support teachers who are going through that, who have had these these perfect lessons planned and created for the classroom for the day? And then something happens to where a child is dysregulated and it it totally hinders the learning environment.
0: So one thing that we have in every classroom is a calming corner. And so um, every teacher, they have a bucket and um, our counselor will get from time to time, give them more resources to add to their bucket. It can be anything from a stress ball um, to a and I don't know the name of it, but. This, like something you can shake and then you watch the glitter. Calm your it. glitter. Yes, calm your glitter. Actually, the uh, my counselor, she just had the staff make one for their calming buckets recently. But just a bunch of different things for students whenever they are not regulated, they're not ready to learn, mm-hmm. to be able to know that there's a safe place in the classroom where I can go and and calm myself down. Uh, we also have the zones of regulation. So if they're seeing red, yellow, yellow, um, Green and blue. And so, one thing is in the common corner, you have those zones of regulation, and there's pictures to go with Mm -hmm. each color. So, even if it's a pre K student all the way up to fifth grade, if they're not able to express how they're feeling, they can at least look at those zones and be able to point to that emoji Mm
1: -hmm. or to that
0: that person's face to say, This, this is what I'm feeling. Um, That tends to help students. Um, another thing is I try to get teachers to go home at four and come in at 830. <laughs> One thing I tell my staff is if you're stressed out and you're overwhelmed, you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to help students because your patience is just not there. And another thing is you may feel OK working these long mm-hmm. hours. And I know there are some times you have to work long hours and but you may feel OK. But what you don't realize is you're just building up that exhaustion to the point where you may have a student who's not regulated, but now all of a sudden you're not regulated either to, mm-hmm. be able to help that student effectively. Um, so those are the two big things as, is- I know teaching, there's a lot, It's but I try to give my teachers time during the workday to do things that they need to do so that they can leave on time and be with their families and do things to make them happy so that they're in the right mind state. Uh, mindset, excuse me, to be able to help support students effectively. Um, and again, that's equipping them with what they need is by giving mm-hmm. everybody a calming corner and making sure we keep it replenished so that students have that safe space in the classroom.
1: That is awesome. I love that, especially giving language to the emotions, right? And giving something that is known throughout the school, giving a common language for students of what they're feeling or even a common color, you know, to students of what they're feeling. So that is awesome, especially making sure that the teachers are regulated because as we all know, a dysregulated adult cannot regulate a dysregulated child. And I've had to learn that several times where it's like, you know what? I'm not regulated and you are on my last nerve. And so I'm about to get with you. And so let me put myself in a timeout, a common corner of sorts, right? I worked, I was blessed enough to be able to work in a place where I had a lot of co-teachers who were just really, really encouraging and there for us. And at one point I was working um, as a partner teacher with my cousin. And so the students, they didn't know we were cousins, but they knew we were close. And so they knew if Ms. Smith goes to her classroom, Oh, that's her calming cord. She needs to calm down. And I would say, you know what? My my thing to them was, that was my, my key word or my my code phrase was, teach yourself. If I tell you to teach yourself, they already know, like, I am not regulated and I walk over to my partner teacher's classroom and sit in the back of her class and we share students. And so the students would see me come over there and they were like, ooh, ooh, they must have got on. And then they'd send a student to me and say, uh, we ready. Like, you good? We ready for you to come back. And I'm like, oh, y'all ready now? Now y'all want to listen to what I have to say? Because I know if I go there, if I'm in a high state of dysregulation because of the behaviors mm-hmm. and the things that are going on, I know I'm not going to be able to regulate them either. And so just trying to model that for students was a good way for me. But how do you deal with those teachers? Because at times like I go into to schools and we talk about the common corner. We talk about, you know, giving students a space to be able to um, kind of regulate themselves and kind of come back to a thinking brain as opposed to being sitting in, in class in a survival brain. But how do you deal with those teachers who are like, they're just going to go over there and play? Like They're just going to use that as an excuse to go play. Because I got that a lot of times. And I was like, they may, they may use that. You know, but what's the alternative?
0: I get that a lot, um, especially with um, if you have to. And I don't do this often, but even suspending the kid or Mm -hmm. or sending them to in school restriction. um, They're all they do say that they just they want to go there. They're just getting away. And it's like, let them. Because Mm -hmm. at this point, you as a teacher need that break as well and your class need that break as well. So let's Mm -hmm. give the student what they want a little bit so that we are addressing the masses, those other 24 students in your classroom. uh, And we're giving you that space so that you can calm down and regulate as well. Um, But uh, addressing the calming corner, a lot of them do say it's for them to play. Um, They just Mm want to play. But it's all about how you present it. When I taught fifth grade, I had, and this is when the Orbeez were popular, um, and I had a bucket that had Orbeez, and it was right next to my classroom sink. And I said, okay, if you need a moment to calm down, wash your hands, and then you can put your hands in the bucket. And, of course, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the school year, everybody had to go back there and wash their hands. But the more they realized, oh, I do have access to this when I need it, the less mm-hmm. they use it but if you start off with um it's all about how you present it if you start off with now don't use it all the time and it's only for them, and you just want to go mm-hmm. back there well then you set it up to where now they're challenging you but if you approach it in the beginning of use it as you need it let them get it out of their system then they'll use it appropriately in the long run and so that's kind of how mm-hmm. i share with my teachers um but then again you'll still have teachers who They still want that control. And so at that point, I give it to them. Okay. What are some items that you think they would be responsible with? And we'll hold the rest of them until you're ready to have them. And so I do try to work with my teachers as well, but they do know the common corner is not optional. But we can all work together Mm -hmm. on what are some things you feel like they wouldn't play with. Another thing, um, my counselor this year, she came up with something that was awesome. And I wish I could remember the name of it, but it's a calming corner that they can pull up on their laptop, on their devices. And so it's. Um, that they can pull up and they can go through. And there's like she said, there's different ways to breathe and things like that. Um, and so that's even an option for teachers. So again, I just kind of circle back to the more we equip teachers with and train them on how mm-hmm. to use it and give them examples, the more they're willing to use it. But if we just kind of throw it at them, here's your common corner. That's when we get mm-hmm. most of the pushback.
1: I love that. It sounds like you're giving them or creating a space for them to have a sensitive and supportive approach in the classrooms, which is is phenomenal. Right. That's what is needed, because I know when we talked about the common corners, it's like it's all about how you teach them to mm-hmm. use it. If you just say this is a common quarter for you to go in and use the the toys in there, just but you don't teach them how to effectively use it. My husband always says, um, abuse is not using a product the way it was meant to be used, right? Or using something that's not the, not the way it's supposed to be used. And so if you train them on what emotions, what sensations you feel in your body and which um, s- sensory toy or which thing in the common corner is going to help support that part of your feelings or your emotions, then they attach what I'm feeling, what I need to that toy. And so they start to use it correctly and use it properly. But that's all about teaching them how to use it in the beginning and not just throwing the, you know what I'm saying, using it appropriately, but not just throwing them in to say, hey, this is the common corner. If you feel stressed, go over there and play. You have to train them how to use it. So I love that you say you take some things out and just introduce it as needed. That's phenomenal. I just think that is equipped because teachers want to feel resource, right? And so I think that's equipping them with the things that they need, the resources that they need to make sure that they're providing a sensitive and supportive approach to their classroom. Because given the profound um, impact of trauma and toxic stress on students, it's imperative for educators and for schools to adopt a sensitive and supportive approach, like creating this environment that you have, this, this common quarter, and creating environments where Um, teachers and and just staff, period, are able to recognize and respond to the unique needs of trauma-affected students or students who have been exposed to toxic stress and giving them just a safe environment. Because a lot of times what teachers and educators fail to realize is that students are not trying to be difficult. You know, they're not trying to be bad. They don't wake up and say, how can I uh, mess up my teacher's day or how can I mess up the learning environment? You know, they legit come to school in a survival brain and they're on high alert at all times. They're not they're trying to survive, you know, in their bodies. They're feeling like I need to to try to survive. Now, that's not helpful for you to create, you know, these learners with the scores that you want them to create or meeting the targets and the standards that you want them to meet. But how can you get them? I think the goal for everyone, like I know with the zones of regulation, the goal is to get everybody to green so that they're Mm -hmm. calm. But for teachers, the goal is to, how do I get these students out of a survival brain and into a thinking brain so that the, the targets that I'm trying to get them to reach or the concepts that I'm trying to teach for that day are met? you know, that they're they're sticking for students. And I saw an illustration one time, which was a perfect illustration to me. It's like rolling a boulder up a hill. And so if you are not consciously making sure that the, the practices and the resources that you're giving students and the way that you're interacting with them is being trauma-informed and resilience-focused as you interact with them on a day-to-day basis, that boulder is falling back down. And so you have to be conscious of, pushing them towards the concept that you want them to get, but also doing it through a trauma informed and resilience focused lens or else is going to continue to roll back. And the thing is, is that daily the boulder starts at the bottom, right? Because they go home. Like you do all of this, this stuff with them to try to get them to be uh, resilience focused and get them regulated, to be able to teach them how to regulate themselves. But then they go home, back to a, a space that's not your learning environment, that's not the safe space that you're providing for them. And so the cycle starts are all, all over. And so how do you get teachers to understand that there are new mercies every morning? I had to teach myself that. Like, yes, they frustrated you yesterday, but when they come in today, they got to start with new mercies. You can't just keep treating them like the behavior that they had yesterday. How do you get them to to view the child's behavior through compassion and not judgment?
0: Uh, That comes with sometimes you just have to have that tough conversation with teachers. Um, I think at least in my experience as an administrator, a lot of times the teachers who um, are not graceful towards Mm -hmm. students is because they have some things they're going through as well. And so Mm -hmm. I try to at least have that tough conversation. But I also try to figure out, you know, what's going on with you? Are you okay? (laughs) Because um, and another thing, too, is I make sure I try and model what I want the teachers to do. And so I try to model being graceful towards my teachers um, and I try to model being graceful towards students as well. And there are times where I will put in an email, you know, if I have to suspend a student or um, if I had to call a parent, I always follow up with my teachers via email. But including in that email, tomorrow's a new day. So that mm, they understand you know, when this child returns to you, we're not going to pull them to the side and give that child another lecture. Let's welcome them back into the classroom so that they can start fresh. Um, but it is sometimes you have to have those tough conversations with teachers um, to help them understand that these are students. You know, they're not um, mature adults. They're not the professional. Mm-hmm. We are the professionals um, and we have to act in, in that manner.
1: I love that. I I really love that because it not only teaches them what they need to know for now, you know, for for now, but for the future, you know, what I mean, for with the kids knowing that, like, if you mess up in life when you get older, it's not the end of the world, because I think now a lot of people lack coping mechanisms and, and lack the idea that oh, I can bounce back from this. And so they make permanent decisions for a temporary problem. And I think that's, that speaks to the research findings on the long-term implications of stress, toxic stress and trauma, because numerous studies have highlighted the long-term consequences of unaddressed trauma in students, right? And so if they've been exposed to ACEs or adverse childhood experiences, which encompass traumatic events during childhood, it's linked to higher risk of mental health disorders or substance abuse and physical health issues when they get older. But if they're when they're in elementary school that I can mess up today, but I can also bounce back and there's resilience. I can come back from whatever trauma I've been exposed to or whatever toxic stress I've been exposed to and I get a new mercy every morning. Then they know that this does not define me right now. My life is not over at 18 if I, you know, get a speeding ticket or if I don't pass a test or if I'm 20 and I get fired from a job. I don't have to make a permanent decision for my life Mm-hmm. Because I'm in this in this, Because I have this feeling of depression Or I have this feeling Just a negative feeling I'm not able to regulate myself It, it allows them to see that I can start over mm-hmm. I can start over at 45 if I want to But I think giving these students the tools And just the environment Where they're like I can be resilient Or I can, um, I can bounce back from these things Will follow them into adulthood And so I think what you're doing, what your staff is doing is commendable because you're not only teaching them for today, but you're teaching them for tomorrow to teaching them how to self-regulate. And so I appreciate just the things that you've done. Like I'm not in your school, but I can't imagine, you know, if I were a student who had to experience the things that these kids have to experience, especially being military families and having the t- the trauma and toxic stress that they're experiencing. But I have a principal Who understands that and who is making sure that our teachers are resourced, that they're providing a learn a safe learning environment for me to be able to work through these emotions that I have, like, where would they be in the future? You know, I can't imagine If all schools were like that, if all schools had principals like you who were making sure teachers were resourced, making sure students had what they needed, then our kids will be able to bounce back and get out of a survival brain at all times and be able to get in the thinking brain, which will improve, you know, cognition, which will improve, improve scores and improve the things that educators are supposed to be fighting for. But they have to juggle all the extra stuff with it. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. And so before I get into the, the through the eyes of trauma takeaways, is, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with our final thoughts? Because we really appreciate you being here and you have given us a wealth of knowledge, especially for those who are administrators, just to be able to take back to their schools and to implement into their schools.
0: Uh, one thing I will say is it, it's really important to do the things um, that make you happy It's really important to take uh, a break from work. Um, Because if you are in the healthy state of mind and you're taking care of yourself, then you really are more equipped to help help our students be successful, to help teach Mm -hmm. them uh, those social emotional skills, how to regulate and to help them learn. And so that's one thing I really did share with my staff at the beginning of this year is take care of yourself so that when you come to work, you're in a healthy, right mindset to make sure our students are successful.
1: That's awesome. And with that, I will leave you with the through the eyes of trauma takeaways. Number one, have holistic understanding. Gain a comprehensive grasp of trauma's effects on students and the significance of addressing it in educational settings. Number two, get brain-body connection. Recognize the intricate relationship between trauma and brain development, shedding light on the observed behaviors and reactions of students. Number three, Give practical implementation. Discover actionable strategies and initiatives to foster a safe and supportive learning environment for students who have experienced trauma and toxic stress. And number four, heal first, educate always. Highlight the paramount importance of prioritizing healing and well-being for students before engaging in effective education. Thank you so much, Principal Ben at Aspah. I really appreciate you being here. And if you or your campus is interested in trauma-informed practices, professional development, please visit us at innerearagency.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-E-A-R-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Thank you again for being here for the beginning of season three. We appreciate you, uh, Principal uh, Bennett Aspa. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure welcome and we'll see you next week on through the eyes of trauma